XL, Charlotte Sports Live. Well, Michael Jordan may be selling his majority ownership of the Hornets, but not before making maybe the biggest pick for Charlotte in recent memory this Thursday at the NBA Draft. Welcome in to Charlotte Sports Live and a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Grace, we would be nowhere without our dads, right? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely not. And your husband? Yes. Celebrating our dads Good and your dads husband? dads everywhere. That's right. Grace Grill. I'm Carla Gephardt. We got Gabe McDonald also joining us here shortly. Yeah, so tonight, tons of baseball to get you out in Omaha. The Panthers are on summer break, and we look ahead to the final 10 races of the NASCAR regular season, but we got to start with Buzz City. They were the big topic this week. They definitely were, and according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, the Charlotte Hornets will be conducting second-round workouts and interviews with both Alabama's Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson out of the G League Ignite. Those are actually expected to happen tomorrow, and despite Michael Jordan being in the headlines this week for selling his majority stake in the team, MJ is going to be a part of those second round meetings as well. And that number two selection may be the most important pick for Charlotte, but their draft night does not end there. Four more picks after that as well in the 27th in the first round, and then three more in the second with the 34th, the 39th, and the 41st pick race. All right, so Michael Jordan has a history of less than stellar draft picks in his time as majority owner of the Hornets. Mike Lissette looks back at MJ's up and down tenure as Buzz City's boss. Jordan, open, Chicago with the lead. To be clear, when they talk about Michael Jordan as the GOAT, they're not talking about him as an owner. And that'll do it. Jordan's tenure with the franchise began in 2006, when he became a minority owner. He then took firm control in 2010, becoming the only black majority owner in the NBA. It's truly amazing. It tells the path in terms of what that I've taken. Curry with a steal and a foot race with Kid But the MJ era left a lot to be desired, as the team never finished better than sixth in the East. Oh, he hit it. The franchise went through five head coaches, including two separate stints from Steve Clifford. They made the playoffs three times from the moment Jordan became majority owner, winning only three games and never getting past the first round. Here comes a show! However, Jordan did plenty of good as well during his 13 years in charge. Three years after he became majority owner of the Bobcats, he changed the team's name back to the Hornets. Charlotte's first NBA franchise that left for New Orleans more than a decade earlier. Jordan also made several charitable donations here in Charlotte, not to mention funding two medical centers in the Queen City. It gives me great pleasure to be able to present that you know, back to the, to the community. Still, when it comes to basketball, Michael Jordan, the owner, failed to live up to the legend of Michael Jordan, the player. There's Jordan on the face. Yes! Draft after draft, there are more misses than hits. Michael Kidd Gilchrist in 2012, Cody Zeller the following season, and then Frank Kaminsky in 2015. The Queen City has a new king! Franchise players never seem to stick around. The worst departure was Kemba Walker when he left the Hornets for the Boston Celtics after he felt he was lowballed on a new contract. A lot harder on this side uh, than actually putting on a uniform and going out and shooting the jump shots and taking off the free throw line of the dunk contest. In recent years, Jordan's interest outside of basketball seemed to command most of his attention. Then initial reports of MJ selling the team came to light in March with the end of an era coming three months later. All right, thank you, Mike. So while the Hornets are looking to add talent, their Southeast Division rivals are clean in house. The Washington Wizards are finalizing a trade that will send star Bradley Beal to Phoenix in exchange for a package that includes 
Chris Paul. Beal had a no-trade clause, which limited Washington's ability to bring in substantial compensation for him. So Beal will now team up in Phoenix with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. All right, in about five hours west of Phoenix, the final round of the U.S. Open in prime time this evening in Los Angeles. That's right. Gabe McDonald is here with us now. And Gabe, I feel like this just wrapped up, but it was a fantastic final day despite a lot of uh, maybe ailments on the course, right? Yeah, absolutely. It just wrapped up moments ago. Ricky Fowler and 2023 Wells Fargo Championship winner Wyndham Clark entered today as the co-leaders. And, of course, two at 10 under par. The two teed off just after 5.30 this evening. Both were searching for their first major win. So we had some great golf out there. The final day of the U.S. Open at the Los Angeles Country Club. There's Ricky Fowler. Who had a rough day shooting five over, which dropped him down to fifth, which meant that came down to Wyndham Clark and Rory McIlroy. Here's Rory on 18. Needs a birdie to put a little bit of pressure on Clark. Puts it about 40 feet from the hole. Would be the longest putt he's made all weekend. A couple moments later, it's got good speed, but just a bit outside. Now, Wyndham Clark, all he needs to do is par 18 to claim his first major. That's all he needs to do. There's the crowd making that walk to the final hole. Just look at that crowd. A beautiful night in Los Angeles. Clark would end up sinking it. He is your 2023 U.S. Open champion. You can see the reaction there. A great moment on May 7th. Got his first tour win here in Charlotte at Quill Hollow, winning the Wells Fargo Championship. And a little over a month later, he wins his first major, the U.S. Open. You know, U.S. Opens are tough, and unfortunately, I had a, um, a bad line eight, and uh, honestly, that up and down for bogey was probably the key of the tournament. It kept me in it, and that up and down nine was huge, and then, um, you know, it's tough on a back nine trying to win a tournament, and I felt I felt at ease, and uh, um, I just kept saying, all right, I can do this, I can do this, and, um, you know, that shot on 14 was kind of the shot of the week, I feel like, for me to make a birdie there and, and then uh, grind it on the way in. Simply put, Wyndham is him. You know, just yeah. a, a great moment, a great story. I mean, 10 years ago, unfortunately, losing his mom to breast cancer. Wanted to quit golf. Wow. 10 years later, gets his first tour win here in the Queen City last month. Now getting his first major. Just a great story and definitely somebody that everybody needs to keep eyes on. He is elite. Yeah. You saw him, right? Yes, you were, like, I following him. him. Yeah. All through Wells Fargo. Yeah. He has got, I hate using this term because you use it all the time, that dog in him. But he, See? like, when, he you, when you think of, like, <laughs> when you got it, you got it. the That's Kobe right. mentality or the Jordan mentality where you just get so locked in. Like, he following him around, I was just like, he he's elite. He is going yeah. to be the next, no matter what Andrew Brightman says, wherever he is. Yeah, so. oh, he's behind <laughs> you. I can see his eyes rolling back there, but... Uh, he also uh, graduated from the same high school as Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, it was really fun to watch the tournament, especially when it gets that close at the end. It was sad, though. I was sad for Ricky Fowler today, missing uh, another no. opportunity yeah. going in with the lead. But uh, I think I, I'm blaming it on the, the late tee time. Yeah, and I'm yeah. thirty. I mean, this was yeah. crazy. I, I, in recent memory, I don't remember a, a PGA Tour getting so much flack from yeah. yes. from, from day yeah. one. True. I mean, it was it was the, the greens weren't fast enough. It was the crowd wasn't big enough. It was we were teeing off late. Like, it was just one thing after the other where it just seemed like a nightmare. Yeah. Well, luckily, in two years, U.S. Open coming right here. I cannot wait. That's like, right. Uh, Nobody, nobody can I, complains about Quill Hall. Can we put in our media credentials already for that? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Never too early to do so. That's right. All right, well, we got a brand new number on his jersey, or he does, rather, and soon – he could potentially see a brand new number on his bottom line. We got the latest on Panthers star Brian Burns as he gears up for year five here in Carolina. All right, and it's the classic debate. Who's better, Jordan or LeBron? Uh, but this time we're not talking about their on-the-court play. More on what we're talking about just ahead in Quick Six.
But first, of course, we would like to wish a happy Father's Day to all the important men in our life, whether it's your dad, your brother, husband, uncle, friend, whoever. Right? And of course, our co-worker, Mike Lissette, he is getting a well-deserved Father's Day off to yes. celebrate his family. And we are celebrating more sports when we come back here on Charlotte Sports Live. We have officially hit the NFL void. Your Carolina Panthers are on summer break for the next month. They wrapped up mandatory minicamp this past week, and the vibe inside the locker room appears to be maybe at an all-time high. Dante Jackson says he's been in the building all throughout the offseason, so he was really happy to see everyone under the same roof for at least a month. But even he has noticed a difference within this team and the early buy-in from the players and even some of the rookies. Yeah, it's just it's a big part of just you know, just building that camaraderie, you know, guys just actually want to be around each other. And it's hard when you got a team um, full of guys that are OTAs to get everybody to just want to be around each other because, you know, the schedule is shorter, you know, guys are doing stuff, you know, outside the building and stuff like that. But this team this year has been different. You know, guys are just wanting to come in even on like off days, or even days we get out early, you know, guys are staying after just just building, you know, sitting in the locker room talking and just, you know, just kind of just building, you know, the stuff that's going to be important come November and December, you know, you get all that right now. Um, you know, it's a, it's a new group, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it in the locker room. It doesn't feel like it in the huddle. Um, so, you know, I think we've just all grown uh, more comfortable with one another. You know, there's still a lot of, you know, stuff we want to iron out, stuff we want to improve on and get better at. Um, but, you know, I think we've just been able to lead on each other for that. So let's take a look at the schedule. Looking ahead to training camp next month, the rookie is going to report July 22nd. Veterans just three days later. There will be 12 total practices, including two joint practices with the Jets ahead of their preseason game on August 12th, July 29th. That's what fans want to know. That's back together Saturday. And then August 2nd, a Wednesday, another fan favorite. It is Fan Fest at Bank of America Stadium. And now this offseason is really a different one than years past for this guy, Brian Burns, who's been rehabbing from his recent ankle surgery. Yeah, Spidey Burns is now agent zero for the black and blue, <laughs> and he's hoping for a few more of those zeros on his paycheck come next season. Many athletes have a special connection to the number they wear. Brian Burns is switching from 53 to zero for the upcoming season. There's a lot of new things going on, and um, like I said before, I never really chose 53. 53 kind of chose me. Like I put all the available, my rookie, I put all the available numbers in the hat, and I kept picking it. So I was like, all right, I guess that's, I wasn't touching 90. So I was like, all right, 53 it is. Zero was just intriguing. The thought of being the first Panther with zero was kind of like, why not? That was kind of dope. A lot more zeros could be in his future. Burns, who will make $16 million this season, is in talks with the Panthers about a long-term extension. The current average for an edge rusher is almost $24 million a year. And I know I want to be a Panther, that's all I can tell you. I want to be a Panther, and I'm truly blessed to be in this position. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like a dream come true just to, be, just to have these kind of talks. Last season, Burns had 12 and a half quarterback sacks, the best numbers of his career. He wants the same type of production because he knows the guys who get that many sacks get paid. I have watched a lot of film on it, though, like, uh, the guys that's been in, in this position. And uh, yeah, they were dominant, aggressive, dominant. They got after the quarterback. And um, my main focus right now has been getting healthy, getting back out there with my guys. Burns had ankle surgery this offseason, but he should be ready by training camp. Technically, Burns will be playing a new position, switching from defensive end to outside linebacker. But to him, it is really only a subtle change. Because I'm kind of used to dropping. In Snow's system, I dropped a lot. Um, my rookie, I dropped a lot, so it's not really too much different for me. Um, just 
being an outside linebacker, you see a lot more and, you, and I feel like I'm able to use my IQ more than with my hand in the dirt because I can see formations, I can see backfield sets and, and, and what I'm getting. The new coaching staff has already made a big impression on Burns. At times I can be very opinionated about certain things that we do and they're very open and uh, I think we got a lot of smart guys, a lot of guys with a lot of experience on that on that staff and things will be good for us. Having a good Brian Burns will be good for the Panthers, who will be trying to reach the playoffs for the first time in six years. All right, and before you know it, the preseason will be here. So for your planning purposes, here are the dates. Panthers Jets kick off on August 12th. Then they'll travel to Jersey the following week to face the Giants before returning home against the Lions. And best part about this is Jets and Giants, both of those games will also be right here on Fox Charlotte. All right, Wake Forest baseball gets an off day today, coming off of a win in their first College World Series game. But we did have four other teams in action. We've got highlights from Omaha next. And that's not all about baseball that we got for you tonight. The Braves enter today, winning 13 of their last 16 games. Grace, are they the best team in baseball? Don't make me answer it. You're going to make me answer it. <laughs> we'll, debate it. we'll debate it. We'll get to it. Yeah, in quick six coming up. Speaking of those Atlanta Braves, <laughs> down 5-0 early against the Rockies today. That was until the bats came alive. A home run barrage. First, Eddie Rosario in the second. That was a three-run bomb. Two innings later, it's Ozzy Albies with a three-run blast of his own. And just like that, Atlanta is back on top. Fifth inning, Michael Harris. That was violent. That's three more on the board. I mean, come on. It is now 10-5 Braves. Just absolutely crushing the baseball today. Bottom six. It's easy for Eddie. Eddie Rosario wants another, and he gets another. Braves cruise 14 to six. They won six straight. 40 runs, by the way, in the series. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of Major League Baseball left this season, but in college ball, we are closing in on naming a national champion. Two more games today. In the College World Series, Gabe McDonald back with us to break it all down. Yeah, the Demon Deacons, they'll be back in action tomorrow after taking down Sanford in their opener. But today we had plenty of other action, including the first elimination game out in Omaha. Either TCU or 7th-ranked Virginia was going to see their season come to an end today. Three of the first four games in Omaha decided by just one run. We've had some great baseball, and we'd be in for another thriller today. Top six, Frogs up one. Eli Nunez coming through with a liner to right center. Anthony Silva easily scoring from second. TCU will increase its lead to two runs over the Cavaliers. But Virginia, they find some life in the very next frame. Ethan Anderson at the dish. It's not Tuesday, but we all love a good Oppo Taco. His 15th blast of the year. Virginia back within one run after that leadoff homer. And now we move to the eighth, where it's the same score. TCU looking to add some insurance, and Austin Davis handles business. A deep shot all the way to the back, all the way back to the wall for an RBI double. Silva waved around from third. He scores for the second time today, and that would put the Horn Frogs back up by two. Now, Virginia would add one off the ground out, but they couldn't complete the comeback. Virginia is the first team eliminated in Omaha this year as TCU gets the win four to three. Now to the nightcap, second-ranked Florida facing the darlings of the tournament in Oral Roberts, a four-seed. The Gators, they get that offense going early and often. Up 3-1 in the fourth, Luke Heyman loads up and says, see ya, a two-run shot to put Florida up four, and it appeared they were going to run away with this one, but Oral Roberts gets going on offense. Matt Hogan, the former Gamecock, with one on in the seventh, a deep shot off the wall and left, but the outfielders, they misplay it. One run scores, but check out Hogan showing off the wheels. Waves home 
for an inside the park home run. The first one in the men's college world series since 2001. Golden Eagles back within two runs. Now we move to the ninth. ORU looking to walk it off with the bases juice. Drew Stahl able to play one run on this fielder's choice. That would cut into the deficit, but the Gators would be able to hold on and get the dub. Another thriller in Omaha, guys. Five of the first six games coming down to just one run. Florida, they get it done five to four. It's been exciting in Omaha, but not as exciting as it is right now <laughs> because Meteorologist Andrew Brighton has My begged boy. us after last Sunday to come back. And I he loved it. Quick Six so I much. I had to beg over and over. I'm like, Carla, no, please, no, it's, please, You're let back, me back by popular demand, Andrew. It's okay. All right, let's put two minutes on the clock. Grace, you get the first question. We want to know, or we know that LeBron would like to own an NBA team. Will he be better than MJ was? I hate answering this because he's got to be, right? Right. Like, he I almost know. has to be because it just was so disappointing. And I hate that because I am so Team Jordan over Team LeBron, but I think this is going to be one debate that he gets him at. I have to agree. All right, Andrew, which Charlotte pro team is more likely to win a championship in the next five years? Does the Queen City News softball team count? We're <laughs> yes. up and coming, back-to-back, yes, -back media league <laughs> finalists. But if we're talking about the major four sports teams, I would have to go with the Panthers. You think about Charlotte FC, they're an expansion team. Right. The Hornets, Lamella Ball, maybe he could be a top one or two superstar, but there's still a long way to go. If I had to put if I had to bet someone in the next five years, I'd probably say the Panthers. If Bryce Young is what the youth say he is him, you got yes. potentially the makings of a superstar. But the Queen City News softball team first, and then the Panthers, yeah. right? Uh, all that's right. right. Yeah. All right, Gabe, of all of Michael Jordan's draft picks, who was the worst? Michael Kidd Gilchrist. I mean, uh. just I mean, it was it was bad. I know they missed out on Anthony Davis, but you had Bradley Beal, who I thought was better coming out of Florida that year. And then even Damian Lillard. I know a bit of a diamond in the rough coming out of Weber State, but to miss out on those two and to look what they've turned into and look at where MKG is now. All right, Grace. I tried to ask you this earlier, but it's still your question. Are the Braves the best team in baseball right now? If we are going off record, no, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure the Rays still have them beat by a couple guys. I think they got 50 wins or so. So right. if we're going off record, no, but the Rays never translate to the postseason anyway. I said it. The Braves are loaded, and they, yes, they are scary. Good. All right, Andrew, would you rather be able to dunk, drive a ball 400 yards, or throw a 100-mile-per-hour fastball? All right, hear me out. I would say dunk because <laughs> driving 400 yards, but hey, you drive for show, putt for dough. Throwing 100 miles an hour 10 years ago, I would say yes, but think about this. Being able to windmill dunk on a Mike Lissette in a Michael Jordan jersey <laughs> while he's wearing Jordan 13s, and then you can't beat it. Toe. All right, real quickly, Gabe, we've seen plenty yeah. of Father's Day moments in pro sports over the years. What's one of the most memorable ones? Griffey Sr., Griffin Ju Griffey Jr., back-to-back yeah. -back home runs in 1990. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Incredible. All right. That'll do it. Thanks, Andrew. All right, well, Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, who will the Hornets take number two overall on Thursday night? Or maybe Mitch Kupchak, maybe he has a trick up his sleeve. We're joined next by ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel to break it all down. But first, speaking of memorable Father's Day moments, here's one from Jordan. MJ getting very emotional in the locker room after the Bulls beat the Sonics on Father's Day to win the 1996 NBA championship. It was Jordan's first title since his father, James Jordan, was murdered in 1993. He dedicated that one to his dad. And we are dedicated to you for at least another 30 minutes. More Charlotte, Charlotte Sports Live coming up next. Welcome back inside Charlotte Sports Live. Carla Gebhardt alongside Grace Grill with you for another 30 minutes. Yes, it is your lucky night. The Charlotte Hornets have the number two pick in this year's NBA draft, but that's not 
What really had everybody talking this week, Grace? Yeah, some buzzworthy news this week as Michael Jordan announced that he is selling his majority stake in the franchise. And he's selling it to a group of investors led by Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall. Jordan will reportedly remain in charge of basketball operations through the NBA draft and free agency and will also retain minority ownership in the team after the sale goes through. So what do fans think of this monumental decision? Well, Queen City News Chief Business Correspondent Taylor Young dives into the details of this agreement. It's not game day, but all eyes are on the Charlotte Hornets. It's just kind of shocking, especially when you broke the news to us. After months of speculation, Michael Jordan has officially agreed to sell his majority ownership. It just feels like he almost treated on the Hornets. and It's not, I feel like that's not right. The six-time NBA champion has been the face of the franchise for decades. He purchased the expansion team in 2010 for $180 million becoming the NBA's only black owner. I think he's the best basketball player ever, and it's really tough to, like, tell people how to do things when you were so good at it. That's probably his problem, and he should just be a really rich guy in retirement. Jordan is selling the majority of his stake to the buyer group. It's led by wealthy investors, Gabe Plotkin and Rich Schnall, both with ties to the NBA. Plotkin was a previous minority owner of the Hornets. Jordan sold him a portion of the franchise back in 2019. Schnall, on the other hand, is new to the Charlotte sports team. Right now, he's the minority owner of the Atlanta Hawks and is in the process of selling that share. The group also includes North Carolina recording artist J. Cole and country music singer Eric Church. Whether fans are for or against Jordan's decision to take a step back from the team, all want the same outcome, a team that wins. They've not improved at all in the last three years. It's just like roll the ball out there and run up and down the court. And so hopefully they just get a better structure. And I'm glad to hear this. All right, thanks to Taylor for that. And of course, as we told you, all of this comes just days before the Hornets get set to make the most important draft pick in a decade. We got Mike Lissette and Gabe McDonald. They're standing by with tonight's guest to break down everything Buzz City related. Well, I go back a long way with our next guest. He and I went to college together, and I once told him to turn down a job in Palm Springs. He then <laughs> landed at ESPN covering the NBA. So I, get, I should get credit for your career. How about that? You know I'm with you there, buddy. You know I'm with you, and I appreciated the tip then and now. <laughs> well, how are you, first of all? It's off time finally in the NBA, I guess, a little bit, right? If I have learned anything in the about 14 years I've been covering the NBA, <laughs> it's that there is never off time, especially in the summer. But it does feel good to be in my own apartment here for a few days. Well, the big story, of course, here was Michael Jordan selling the Hornets what was your first reaction about the sale? That Mike got paid. <laughs> <laughs> the guy knows a great business deal when he sees one. And my first thought was MJ knew exactly when to get in and right now knows when to get out. But after all the time that we have wondered about the Hornets and, and what was going to happen and, and just how much money was going to be invested. To look back at when MJ got the team and now he's he's selling that majority stake, the first part of me was like, all right, 
the, the basketball secondary, Michael just got some serious <laughs> money, and he knew when to make a smooth business decision. And the season's obviously going to be here before we know it. The draft just days away. Do you think the sale is going to have any on-court impact on some of these more immediate decisions? Obviously, the draft coming up on Thursday, and of course, monitoring the Miles Bridges situation as well. Dave, it always feels like when these decisions are made, the, the owners who kind of wait in the wings, they might have a, a say, but it never goes through as quickly as you think. So I would guess that with the way things are moving, that, that MJ will still be in there and, and that front office will still uh, have the keys to do whatever it would like. And, and for Charlotte, this is a hell of an important pick. I know everybody's got to be a little sad that they didn't land Webinyama because he seems to be the guy, but you got a hell of a nice prospect in Scoot if you go that direction or Brandon Miller if you go that direction. One of those two guys figures to be, if not both of them, a star in the league moving forward. But I think for right now, everything that has been in place will stay in place. And I don't think anybody really wants to rock the boat given all the work that's already gone into this draft with everybody that's been there. You think that goes also for the LaMelo Ball situation, his contract entering the last year of his rookie deal. He's eligible now for an extension. Do you think that that remains the case with him too? Absolutely. And if you're the Hornets and you've got LaMelo, You've got to be sitting there going, all right, all right, here's money. <laughs> Let's make this thing happen because we know how good he can be. We know how good he is if he can stay on the floor. The injuries are what they are, especially last season with all the different ankle issues. But when he's out there, he is one of the more talented guys offensively in the league on top of the fact, guys, as you see all the time. He's exciting. He's a fun guy to watch. He is somebody who fans, especially younger fans, as I've traveled through the league, want to come out and see. So uh, I'd be surprised, even for Charlotte's track record, if that one took a while, because it sure seems like you just kind of rubber stamp that deal and keep it moving. And before we get to the trades, obviously, you know, there's been a lot of buzz about potential movement of that second pick. Who do you think is a better fit? You just talked about both the top prospects there at number two. Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller, who do you think better uh, fits better with the Hornets? If it's me, I'd probably take Miller just because he seems like the guy who you can plug in next to LaMelo and go. And that offense uh, can just move. And I've really liked Steve Clifford for a long time. I think he is such a good coach, especially with younger players, although I know how frustrated he was in listening to him <laughs> last year during those press conferences when I was down in Charlotte. But if it's me, I think that Miller makes the most sense. But we all know about the draft and what it means with the ceiling and how much better younger players can be. We'll see how, uh, how much that weighs into Charlotte's thinking. But uh, for for, for where I sit, I think the prospect from Alabama is the guy to go to right now. I see that. Why that's your guy. <laughs> of course, you know, on the other side of things, there's talk of possibly them trading that pick away to get either Ingram or, or, or Zion. If you're in charge, do you make that pick and give the number two away, number two pick away? No, especially not for Zion, although I think Charlotte would be a nice fit for him. You take him out of... The spotlight that he's in, you allow him a new place to start fresh. 
Guys, if it's me, I am not going near Zion. I lived the Derrick Rose experience yeah. That's right. in Chicago. He covered Chicago when, for a number of years yeah. during those Yeah, days when you start seeing a younger player who continues to struggle to stay on the floor, especially in Zion's case with the weight issues that come with it, it seems like when he's out there, he's awesome. The second the injuries start, you start looking around and going, oh, what's going on with Zion? That is something that this far in, if you're not motivated by the amounts of money that Zion is getting to play basketball, when is it going to click in? That is what would worry me. As far as Ingram or, or any other potential deal, for, for me with a team in Charlotte that doesn't have the expectations on them that they – they do right now. They can kind of go in any direction they want. So why not start with, if you believe in one of those two guys that are coming after Webb and Yama, why not start with them and say, hey, you are the face along with LaMelo. You are our guy. Go get him and build from there. And, of course, it is tough to gauge with a lot of uncertainty, but let's assume at the very least Miles Bridges does return to the Charlotte Hornets. What is your outlook for the 2023-24 Hornets? It can be better. I, I just worry when I watch them that I'm not sure how much better they can get in the span of a season. There are so many ifs. And, guys, what I've learned being around the league and seeing teams come together is if you take away as many ifs as you can, you're, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Now, again, I think the key is Clifford is a hell of a coach. LaMelo is a hell of a player if he can stay out there. There are questions uh, about whether or not that can happen. Let's see what happens with this number two pick. Uh, let's see what happens, what is going to happen with Bridges. What What is going to turn into a team that just could not really seem to guard anybody or didn't want to, which might have been worse. We know they can score. We know that the points can go up. But what else are they going to bring at I think they can be better, but there are so many question marks that it's still concerning. I was going to say, there's a lot of questions surrounding the Hornets, but if there's one man that knows the answers, is ESPN's Nick Ferdell. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate you having me. All right, thank you, fellas. So from the gridiron to the garage, the unlikely journey of one of college football stars, NASCAR. That's ahead here on CSL. No race today in the NASCAR Cup Series, so no movement in the standings after Sonoma. Ten drivers are locked into the playoffs already through 16 races. Martin Truex Jr. is your points leader, even though he's already got two wins, so he doesn't really have to worry about it. Ross Chastain and Kevin Harvick, they're well above the cut line with points. And then Bubba Wallace and Alex Bowman, those are your first two guys in. And by the way, if you're wondering how this compares to last season, well, we had 12 drivers with wins through the summer break at least at least this point in last season, so it's really not too far off from the numbers. Yeah, and of course, many are still waiting for their first win of the season, so we are going to try to predict the next three winners. That's the are you going to go differ? Yeah. Okay. I thought it was going <laughs> to come up. You get the honors. I was yeah. Come up behind me here. That's so right. Go. Okay. They're on your screen. All right. So I'm going Nashville first. I'm giving this one to Chase Elliott. What top five last week? Yep. Last, last week. So he I'm won. thinking. All right. He's almost there. He's won in Nashville last year. It's yeah. a young town. He's young. Yeah. Hot town. They like they like him as a driver. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. All right. Roll with me, Carla. Good. Good right. pick. I like Chicago, it. Chicago. I'm going Jimmy Johnson, and here's why. Okay. Because we've got right turns. <laughs> 
<laughs> we have right turns. And you know who has been making some right turns? Jimmy Johnson. So okay. Jimmy, that's, that's, that's a long favorite. shot. I think you should put some money on that, though. Just because if that does hit, that is, like, amazing. Oh, I know. Okay. Anyway, it could happen. Yeah, it could, it could happen. happen. And then Atlanta, look, this is I, this is a toss-up because I could have gone Nashville, Larson, and right. then given Chase Elliott, oh, in your hometown, give him Atlanta. Yeah. But I'm going Kevin Harvick. He needs to win one. He does. In his last season. Atlanta has been good to him. He won his first Winston Cup yes. race there. That's right. He's won twice there, I believe. The bookends would be great storyline. Exactly. All right, here are mine. I'm kind of doing what you were talking about doing. But uh, Kyle Larson in Nashville, he won the first race here. He's always really good at these tracks, and, and I think he is kind of due for another win. I think he's going to get to at least three, if not more, wins a season. I'm going Tyler Reddick from 2311 for Chicago. Road course. He's really strong mm -hmm. at this, and, and he does pretty well on these kind of new courses. So we'll see. I kind of wanted to go with A.J. Allmendinger because he has more street course experience, yeah. but I'm going with Tyler Reddick. Atlanta, I'm going with Chase Elliott again. I don't oh, know how I good I feel about this. I was maybe going to pick him for Nashville, but I feel like he needs a couple of races to get in the groove of things, and then by the time he's in Atlanta, he's going to be comfortable. He's from Georgia, so – that you're from Georgia. My, I know. So, so it's like, yeah. You always go with the Georgia boy. <laughs> I know. So it's that's that's my pick. I, I like, I think this is, this is, this, this is good. Tough. I yeah. think Nashville was the hardest one because they've had a lot, we've seen a lot of recent winners there and they've kind of gone back and forth. Right. This was the toughest one for me. This one was my wild card. Yes, I'm like, look, it's that so, is <laughs> but Chicago is so new, it right? That I'm yeah. like, maybe, maybe give the old, the old dog, the, yeah. the the favor there, and just his just the history with. I him like the Kevin Harvick him. pick. I think that's good. I'm yeah. not sure about with the repavement, um, but these are all. I mean, it's a toss up for all of these races because it's they've only been here two years. This is new, and then the Atlanta. Yeah. It's only like three races before that, so yeah, crazy. Could be anybody's. Could be anybody's. <laughs> all right. Well, when NASCAR does return to action in Nashville, they'll welcome one popular. Face. Carl Edwards will once again be trackside this season by this time to be honored for the success he's had at Nashville Super Speedway. Edwards won five Xfinity races in five years and earned one Truck Series victory. Edwards appeared at the Darlington race last month when he was honored as one of NASCAR's top 75 drivers. And drivers always seem to get all the glory, but there are an entire crew behind them that gets all, they're in the background, and they kind of get left out, Grace. Yeah, and, you know, they come from all sorts of backgrounds, too. And for poor, former Penn State running back Journey Brown, it seemed like he was destined for that kind of glory in the NFL, but that was until an unfortunate medical diagnosis. Tonight we highlight his journey from the gridiron to the garage. Penn State going fast as well. They hand it off to Journey Brown between the tackles, still on his feet, bringing that smoke with the straight arm still going. What a journey! Touchdown! It would be one of the last touchdowns of Journey Brown's college football career. But four years later, the 2019 Cotton Bowl MVP is still on his feet, but on a different journey that has taken him from Happy Valley to a hauler. I just walked in here and I was like, wow, like this is there's a lot more that goes into NASCAR than I ever would imagine. Brown could have also never imagined his life without football. Bright future. A 2021 NFL draft hopeful, Brown would be forced to hang up the cleats early when doctors detected a heart condition called hypotropic cardiomyopathy during routine COVID-19 testing. For me, it was, it was very hard because I've been playing football as long as I can remember. And so for me to be so close to those dreams, it took me a while to kind of get over it and, and accept that. But I came to peace with it. But as one door closes, another opens. 
my strength coach at Penn State, Chuck Losey, was like, hey, would you ever be like interested in doing like pit crew NASCAR stuff? And I was like, no. <laughs> I, at first I was like, no, but at the same time, I'm very open-minded with everything. An open mind that led him to track house racing, where he is making his competitive comeback as a development pit crew member. Even my body had to adjust to like getting low and uh, being on my legs like how I am now. I've never, like I'm a, I was running back. So for me, hit the ground was, it was, I try to stay away from that. Now, training a running back to hit the ground is one thing, but taking him to his first cup race last month, some things were just a little harder to convince. Me in my head, I'm going there, I'm like, oh, Kansas can't be bigger than, you know, 170,000 at Penn State, you know? And I get there, I'm like, it, it might be a little bit bigger in there. Like, they're telling me, like, oh, you can fit, like, a football stadium inside of a racetrack. I said, not Penn State. Like, you ain't fitting Penn State's in there, so. Well, it has been a long time since Wake Forest baseball has been able to claim that they are the best team in college baseball. This is their third College World Series appearance. The other two were in 1949 and 1955. That's right, and that 55 team was able to win it all and leading the way catcher Bobby Kuntz, who's hoping for another title celebrating 68 years later. Art Bonsaghi, Bill Barn, Harold Moore, Tommy Cole, Lexington native Bob Kuntz, who is now 90 years old, went to the original Wake Forest University in the town of Wake Forest on a football scholarship, but he also played baseball. He was a backup catcher in 1955. We were the, the little school in the big four, but we, we held our own pretty good. Kuntz, who would hitchhike to and from campus, has nothing but fond memories of his time at Wake Forest, especially being on that national championship team. We didn't have any superstars, I guess you'd call them. We had a pitcher that played basketball. I believe there were three football players playing baseball. Wake Forest had about 1,600 students back then. That 55 team is celebrated with a prominent exhibit inside the Wake Forest baseball complex. Some of the artifacts on display are Bob's. One of his bragging rights was always, you know, they were the first and for a long time, the only ACC team to have a um, national championship. That's what you did most, wasn't it? Yeah. Beth White is Bob's daughter. As a family, they felt it was important to get Bob to Omaha to watch his Demon Deacons play. We never thought it would happen, um, at least not in his lifetime. And the fact that he is, you know, physically able to travel that far for that long, um, I think that's the thing that is the most remarkable about this. After Wake Forest, Kuntz went into the Navy where he learned to fly. He then spent his career as a pilot for Piedmont Airlines. I would say he was probably happiest in the cockpit of an airplane. Ball field would probably be close second. Whether it's watching college baseball, one of his grandchildren playing high school ball, or you know, even back to when they played little league ball. Um, he loves being at a ball field. He likes the atmosphere, he loves the food. <laughs> Bob went to all but one of the NCAA tournament games in Winston and can offer this scouting report. I think they're pretty good, they're pretty balanced. Pitching is, I think, a little above average. Coach Walters does a good job. Uh, he gets probably the maximum out of his players. 
Speaking from experience, he has this bit of advice for the current Wake team. Give it everything you got. You'll never get back. Sound advice from a lifelong fan. Well, we just got one crown to hand out tonight, and this was an easy one, right? It is. All the dads, especially our CSL dads. We have Mike Lissette. There's Joey Rogers. Look at you, Grace <laughs> Grill. That is an awesome photo with your dad. Little, little Grace. I know. Gabe, Gabe with his daddy. Love that. Will, Mr. Kunkel. Um, our producer, Christian. Christian Audizirk and his dad, Chris. Oh, look at that. That Nick. is our Nicky uh, Claus. Oh, there you are. <clears throat> my dad, I know. Just some great dads out there, right? My husband with Everly and Jed, and gosh, it's just a good day. It makes you feel good and lots of good memories with our dads. I did call him. Yeah. FaceTime, thank goodness for FaceTime, right? Yeah. I don't know what we'd do without it. Yeah, you called your dad, I assume. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you haven't, shame on yourself. I call my dad every day, yeah. but you All might right. not want to hear from me today. <laughs>